You didn't get to have your giant hot dog. I did. Oh, you did? You went and got your giant hot dog? Yeah. Was the giant hot dog a sandwich? (laughs) (laughs) Some people might say that. I don't think a hot dog's a sandwich, just to be on on right. But is a giant hot dog a sandwich? I think it falls on the sandwich spectrum. Oh, man. We're recording, right? Yeah. Okay. So okay. Should we start? Yeah. Doing the actual. <laughs> this is, that wasn't the podcast. <laughs> I mean, we could talk more about giant hot dogs. I don't mind. We Hello, Jesse. Hello. We're joined by Sassy Korea. You are a designer and developer. You work with Girl Develop It in Austin. Yes, I do. What else about your bio am I missing? Uh, I also help out the local Rails meetup called Austin on Rails, which I help run with uh, Schneems and uh, Britt Ballard from ThoughtBot Austin. Mm-hmm. And we just had a new member join our team, uh, Yusuf, uh, who has a consultancy called Baron Giraffe, which is like the greatest name for a consultancy ever. <laughs> so shout out to the team. Cool. We were having a conversation at lunch yesterday, which actually prompted the like, let's, we should talk more about this on the podcast because we were sitting down talking about hiring and then you came over and sat down. You're like, I'm actually doing a panel on hiring. And everybody was like, what? <laughs> and I went to the panel yesterday and it was good. It was entertaining. It's interesting because I'm always like, oh, I have thoughts on that. And I'm like, I want to, nope, it's not, not my turn to talk. Can't talk. Yeah. <laughs> it was interesting because whenever I would bring up to people that I was doing a panel on hiring practices everybody had feelings about it and pretty much everything that everyone brought up i was like yep i'm i'm gonna bring that up as well (laughs) and unfortunately i got through maybe about a third of all the questions that i wanted to get through you always think you're gonna have more time but it just goes by so fast especially when you're doing a panel So, yeah, I was a little bummed that, you know, I I really wanted to talk about things like unconscious bias, Hmm. uh, but we didn't even get to that. We barely got to talking about things like gender gap in hiring and stuff. So, well, at least you had too much content and not too little. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) We've been talking about hiring on the show actually a decent amount lately because I've been doing some hiring for our Boston office and also like screening candidates for some of our other offices. And... (laughs) It's a different skill than anything I've ever done before. And like I've interviewed people before and I feel like that's okay. But the screening of the candidates part is like part of me just wants to give everybody the benefit of the doubt and be like, if you could fill out this application in a reasonable manner and like submit a code sample that we ask for, then like, yeah, we'll talk to you. But then like step one in our process is talking to our CEO. <laughs> it's like, oh, wow. maybe I need to be a little more selective about that. Yeah. Um, it's like a, we do like a non-technical like, hey, this is what ThoughtBot's about. What are you about? And like kind of try and balance that out a little bit and make sure that there's a good fit there. And, you know, just like found myself just ultimately being like, I'm probably overburdening Chad's schedule a little bit more than I need to. What really fascinates me about the hiring process, and you're kind of bringing that up, is that each person, whenever they take it on, they have to learn it from scratch. And I think that's really interesting in our industry because our industry is kind of obsessed with setting best practices and standards. And we try to follow that in the actual work that we do. And we don't have anybody trying to set standards or guidelines and best practices for hiring. Each company does it differently. Each manager does it differently. And everybody that starts doing it, they just kind of have to 
learn their style. And I don't know, I, I find that interesting that like, why don't we have better standards or, you know, I don't know, a better sort of like knowledge share around these types of things? The previous company I worked for, we did like, we would have candidates come in and we had a team maybe of like five developers or so. And we would pair up and then interview, like we do two people interviewing one candidate and then like they would meet with another two people and then maybe like my boss. And so they would have like three or four interviews of like a half an hour to 45 minutes each. And I never knew what to do. Nobody told me what to do. Nobody was like, here's how you interview somebody. So I'd be like looking at their resume. I'd be like, tell me about your work at uh, Acme Corp. And they'd be like, um... Well, I did this. It says it on the resume. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> and then it just boiled down to whether or not I liked talking to them. Mm-hmm. It was ultimately... And like I had made my mind up within, I don't know, a minute usually. Like, yeah. this per- and it was just like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and then like, it feels wrong. It almost feels wrong of me because I'm just basing it off of, like you said before, the implicit biases I have about like what I think that conversation should go like in the first 30 seconds, basically. Yeah. Um, but now when, we, when I came to ThoughtBot, they have a much more like here's the process and we do like a technical a non-technical interview a technical interview and then we do a pairing interview and like the non-technical interview is very like every person gets the same set of questions and it like gives us a, a constant like bar to, le- to to measure people against so i at least really liked that because i was like this is what you ask people and you know there's still like a little bit of like you can't just ask them a question and then they struggle with it and you're like okay we're going on to the next question like it's like a conversation you have to have with yeah <laughs> that's actually something that i really liked about the thoughtbot hiring process because i actually interviewed for an apprenticeship ah. position a couple of years back and i ended up getting an offer before i even finished the process with thoughtbot but when i was doing the technical portion it was like an interview it wasn't a sit here and code in front of me. Like a lot of companies are doing that, especially if they're remote. Um, they'll give you, you know, the, I don't know, some sort of code challenge over Screen Hero or something where they watch you code <laughs> and you have to sort of like sit there. If you're on the phone, you have the phone on your shoulder and you're like coding <laughs> on the computer. Or, um, or if, you know, if they are using something like a Google Hangout, then you're on Google Hangout and then also trying to do this thing. And I found that process really awkward. They want you to talk as you code in like this Google Hangout, whereas the ThoughtBot interview was guide me through how you would build this. And it was more of a conversation. And I felt that was a much like much more productive way. Right. Have you ever done the Pivotal Labs process? I have not. Because it's an interesting contrast. Because I, I do like the, the other nice thing about the ThoughtBot technical interview, too, is that it you can't really study for it because there's not really right answers. There are a couple of questions where there are very specifically wrong answers, but... <laughs> Pivotal has an interesting one as well because they tried to come up with a technical for the after the initial phone screen they tried to come up with something that they could give consistently and like grade people on on a scale. So you build a set in Java, uh, pairing with the interviewer, uh, and it doesn't matter if you know Java or not because the, the interviewer basically drives and it's just looking at because they pair full time. So a pairing skills, how well you're able to explain through things, and the tests are there or at least the spec is there, and then you write you know you write out you TDD it, but it was a. Uh, it's an interesting one just because they give that exact technical uh, portion to every single person. They have a scale. They, they have the specific things that they're looking for. And it's one that I feel like the interviewer can be much more interchangeable just because it is so practiced and documented. And I found that interesting. I don't, I don't necessarily know that I agree with the specific content of it, but 
I thought what they were going for with that interview was interesting. It has a similar, it's not one that you can necessarily study for because it, it's not about how to implement a hash set. Like you implement it on top of an array. You, mm-hmm. you, you know, it's, it's about making sure there's no duplicates inside of it, not like algorithms. It's just basic problem solving. I think that's actually really, a really interesting concept. It sounds like their sort of technical interview mimics how you would actually do the work. And I feel like that's a huge missing piece from a lot of the technical interviews that I see out there. You know, they have you whiteboard, they have you work on really abstract sort of coding challenges that don't actually reflect the work that you're going to be doing. And it's like I said, if you're coding in like a Google Hangout, it's a little awkward. Like they don't always do a good job of mimicking your actual work. Yeah. Well, in the real world, if you ever actually need to put on the computer science hat and, and pull out an algorithm to solve a problem, which happens on rare occasion, right? But you actually need to know the algorithm or how to implement it. You need to know when you would need that algorithm, but then you can pull up the Wikipedia page exactly. for it. Right. Like, oh, I know. I need a binary search for this. Let me go look up how to implement a binary search. It's just interesting that we look for, like, do you have this algorithm memorized, but never do you know when to apply it? And at that point, all you're doing is testing whether someone has memorized something. Right. Um, whereas I think that in other processes, especially if it's a process where like you can't really study for, then you know it tests more your problem-solving skills, your communication skills. And I think that's much more valuable than other types of things that I see out there. So how do you feel about the full-day pairing interview? That is I think that's semi-common. fine. Yeah, I think um, I've never been part of something like that but I think that that's a really great way of getting a feel for you know whether you would work well with a certain person and then really get a feel for the way that they would problem solve which I think is like really really important yeah there's been cases too where like from an employer side there's been cases where like somebody comes in and they like really do well on a technical interview because they've they're really well read on a topic Mm -hmm. but then when it's like okay now let's 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 do the thing that we were talking about and we're doing it together. And then you're like, Oh, you like, you know about this, but you haven't done it, which is okay. But like, it's an entirely different, like that's not the impression I got from just talking to you about it. The reverse is also true. Like there's oftentimes where I'm interviewing somebody and I'm not quite sure if their answers are maybe like a little scatterbrained or a little not coherent because they're nervous or because they don't know it. And it's like, if somebody's on that fence, again, I try to give people like, I'm like, well, let's do the benefit of the doubt kind of thing. Because if you have that whole day of pairing and you're going to pair, like in our setup, you would pair with somebody for like four hours and pair with somebody else for like three hours. Within that four hours, you would hope that eventually the nerves would kind of like subside and you'd be able to have a a different look at it. Like you shouldn't be so nervous because there's times when I'm just like, and after having done a number of these technical interviews, I can kind of tell that like, I think that those stumbles early were because they were nervous and they weren't really clear where this was going and like... You know, they were nervous about what the follow-up questions were going to be and things like that. So I think it just gives a... You need multiple ways to judge candidates along the way. Yeah, I think you're also hitting on something really important, which is the time commitment that you're asking from the candidates. I think generally, you know, a full day gives you the best perspective on someone. But at the same time, I feel like it can be difficult for certain people if they are already employed, especially if they have to travel out of town for a certain interview. And, you know, they also have a family like you're asking for a lot of time from someone. And it's not only just if you ask for a full day of interview time. I've been in some processes where it was a seven-week process. And I essentially had a call 
with someone each week for like you know 30 minutes 30 40 minutes you always tend to go a little over if you're having a good conversation so like in total you know it was quite a few weeks and each time they wanted to do a call and I got to a point where I was like if you are doing this while you are employed then you have to you know juggle your own work schedule to make that work so you might have to work from home or go out to a coffee shop during your lunch break to be able to have this conversation and it's like I don't feel like that company understood what burden they were making their candidates go through for a job because each time they're like let's just you know they would send me an email and I would be like oh hey I have a quick question let's jump on a google hangout and I'd be like I don't need another google hangout (laughs) (laughs) I just need you to answer this email so I had a I had an interesting case towards the end of my time at ThoughtBot which I'm not sure if it was a really really good pairing uh, interview or really really bad one (laughs) because <laughs> you know the project I was on towards the end, right? Yes. So the person comes in and it's like, cool, so we're building a 3D rendering engine for mobile phones in C++. And the job was not going to involve mobile development or C++ or OpenGL. And the person had never done mobile or C++ or OpenGL. And so, A, I'm glad that person wasn't somebody who uh, had issues with like dealing with pressure. Because if somebody's not good under pressure, that's not going to be a good interview. We, ended up, we didn't end up hiring the person, but I'm, 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 not, I'm not sure if that one's like going to be interesting and give you a really good perspective because like, okay, so how well do you do in pairing and just working through problems that are language agnostic and talking about your thought process and working just in a crazy environment that you've never seen before? Or is it really bad because it just does not in any way reflect the actual work they're going to be doing? Well, I mean, you were doing that actual work. So like that, right. that does happen. But like <laughs> we wouldn't have taken that project if I wasn't there like and yeah. saying, yes, I can do this. Yeah. I think that is also interesting because, you know, as soon as you say like, hey, you're going to be doing this project on like these three things that like I know nothing about, I know that I would be terrified. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I would as well. Like I was terrified enough when like during my pairing interview, we had to work on Factory Girl, which I, and I was like, oh, I know that's really like down in the weeds. And, you know, I was pairing with Josh and he's jumping quickly between files. And I'm like, wait, what was that file we just left? Where are we going? What's what's going on? And I felt like, wow, that was like I left and I had like a headache and like <laughs> but it was like it was a good experience and i was confident that i had done pretty well but like that was stressful enough and i was i don't know i was doing ruby so you know i think that would be tough i wanted to get back to, for one second to the time commitment thing cuz i do think that like that's one thing I, when we work with other teams sometimes they'll be like what can you help us hire people and they'll be and we're like all right well what are you doing and they're like well we give them this thing and they take home and they have to work on this app i just like I could see either way, right? So, like, the take-home thing is useful if, like, you're in a situation where it's really hard for you to get away from work, I guess. But then you're also asking them to spend their own time unpaid to do labor for you. And it's not, you're not going to put this in production, but, like, you're asking them to, like, basically burn themselves out for a day. But you're asking that with non-take-home as well, right? I guess, but, like, then you're... I just much prefer the, like, come in and spend a day pairing. And I do think, like, at some level, there is a time commitment to trying to get a job. And I think that a day is reasonable, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it's close to the upper limit. You think so? Because I don't think I don't think I've ever interviewed for a job that didn't take at least three quarters of a day of time. Right. No, I, I mean, I think that's fine. But what, getting beyond that, I think starts to get restrictive, especially since the person's applying for more than one job as well, yeah. right? Yep. So if and if every single one of those like, well, we want we want to do uh, a full week of interview stuff. I'm, like I can see, so Shopify does two full days, and it's in person, and we're in Ottawa, which means like they, you know, 
two days for travel as well. And it's just like, I feel like that's a bit uh, too much of a commitment. I could see two days being reasonable, uh, uh, which is, you know, can be one day if they have to fly out. Uh, I feel like much more than that, though, you're going to lose a lot of people because not everybody, like for a full day interview, a lot of people, they, they take one of their sick days. Right. Yep. It was really useful to me in our process to like, I actually had, I had other offers already waiting for me and I was like, okay, but I want to go through this ThoughtBot thing. So I was kind of putting people off and like, yes, it was an interview of me, but it was equally an interview of whether or not I wanted to work at right. ThoughtBot because I was in a position where I could choose, right? Right, Luckily. absolutely. So I, I really appreciated having nearly the full day. I left a little early, but having nearly the full day to like meet the entirety, almost the entirety of the team, have lunch with people and see like, what do they talk about at lunch? Like, what, how's this, what's this like? Right. I don't know. I think what's interesting too in terms of time commitment, uh, and this is something that I saw some friends of mine struggle with, is you know if they have young children at home that they have to care for, it's often harder for people in that situation to spend you know eight hours on a code challenge, and then also you know if they're a single parent household, they also have to find childcare while they're out interviewing, so it can. It's one of those things where, like, I can see both ways. Like, you need the time to be able to vet someone, but at the same time, at what point is too much time too much if you don't happen to have a support system uh, that can help you with things like, you know, childcare, things like that, so which what, is, it's which a shame. Is <laughs> I don't know. I kind of feel like a full day might be a bit much. And even though like I'm I'm kind of a fan of the coding challenge versus the live sort of coding Google Hangout practice that I've seen mm-hmm. a lot lately, with a coding challenge you can do it the way that you would typically code, you know? You're not right. in this sort of like false environment. So I, I tend to like that a little bit more, but I think someone brought this up the other day when we were talk when I was talking about the hiring panel at RailsConf is that you know if if you say well you know we expect someone to finish this in 8 hours but what is the level of that developer like different developers are going to have likely you know different times that you know it's going to take them to do it so that can be a little bit hard. Like, you know, if, if you're trying to hire a senior, you know, maybe it would take them four hours and someone, you know, not quite at that level, it might take them eight, someone else, it might take them longer. So it it can be sort of hard to determine the time commitment. And I also think it's, it's hard to say like, what does done mean? Like if they gave me a coding challenge that was supposed to take eight hours, they said like, you have eight hours to do this. And I finished it in three I'd probably spend the next five hours making sure it was like exactly as I wanted it or like the best thing I could possibly deliver, which, but that's probably counter to like, especially my job in consulting, like, no, the three, the thing you got done in three hours is probably good enough. Like, just like, let's go, let's move on. Like, (laughs) and what I think it's interesting about that right now, we are also hiring uh, for a couple of positions at my current job and we're doing a blind review process where we look at the code first. We don't know their names. We just sort of know their code. And it's really interesting to see the quality of what people submit. Like for the last job that we hired, the challenge was build an API with three endpoints. And several people submitted an API that just like the three endpoints were gets. Come on. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we have that problem too. We don't, we don't do a challenge, but we do ask for like, show me something that you've written that's representative of what you do or if you, you know, and sometimes people can't and we work with them on that, but like, it's interesting to see like sometimes people submit things that like they submit they submit me a link to something on GitHub and I click the thing to go to the thing on GitHub so they know I'm going to be looking at it in GitHub. 
and like it's got mixed tabs and spaces so like the indentate like github gives eight spaces to a tab and things are over here you're like i did you click on the link you sent me because like i can't read this like what has anybody ever sent you a link to a private repository and just like not realize that you wouldn't be able to see it <laughs> no I don't think so. They usually say they can give me access. So at my previous job, I was the first pass reviewer. And in this scenario, we weren't doing blind reviews. And we asked for a code sample. And I always thought it was really hilarious when people would literally copy and paste some HTML into the body of the email. Like, here's a code sample. <laughs> wow, no, that's that's not what we were talking about. Uh, but I also think it's really interesting. We had some people who would say like, oh, well, everything that I work on is proprietary, so I don't have anything to show you. Okay. Right. Um, then I have no way of grading you. But that, I mean, that is a legit, a legitimate oh, yeah. thing. Right. Like When I applied to ThoughtBot, I only had one app that I could show them, and that was because I was able to ask the client, hey, is it okay if I show the source code for this? Uh, it was an ad agency. But like, and it was not code I was proud of, and I and I had written much better code since then. But it was the only thing I could get access to because all of the code I had written uh, otherwise was for my job, like, and I can't just give access to. Yeah. And and some some people will be in jobs where it's easier to do than not. But like, there are people who just I think it's completely reasonable if somebody's not able to produce a code sample of a, of at least not of a real application. It can you know hopefully they can maybe point at like an open source commit somewhere. But mm -hmm. even then, that's. Then we're self-selecting for people who can work nights and weekends. Yes. In those cases, I generally will ask somebody like, I understand you can't give me a full Rails app. Is there like a class that you can send me with a test? Or uh, if not, the final way would be like, okay, you, I, you have given me evidence that you are otherwise somebody I want to talk to, but you just can't give me the code sample because you don't feel like it's ethically something you should do right. because reasons. Or you're worried of legally, legal reasons. It's like, okay, can you point to something on GitHub in some open source project that you like or that you want to talk about. And That's then a really good idea. We'll go from that we'll go from that perspective and it's like, okay, tell me what you like about it, what you don't like about it, like that kind of thing. And at at, at that point I would expect more from that person. <laughs> like yeah. I would expect them to be really well prepared to talk about the code sample, but um, I know we've done that a few times with folks who just really are not comfortable providing. I mean, I, I, I like that one a lot, actually. Yeah. I, I, I kind of like that one even better than the providing a code sample. <laughs> I see that a lot of junior developers also struggle with that, especially I've heard that certain boot camps don't allow their students to like share the work that they've done at the boot camp because it's proprietary and part of their curriculum, which I think is terrible. It's a disservice uh, to them. I'm not going to name... <laughs> which boot camp that was but that's that's terrible stop doing that <laughs> and um i'm really passionate about like trying to guide people into like this is how you get a job in tech because tech is different than most other industries and th there are people that were saying um because I'm, I'm part of a facebook group where a lot of people post job opportunities in in my community and someone was saying hey i'm having a hard time getting noticed at what point do i just start dropping off resumes at companies and pretty much everybody was like do not do that like <laughs> whatever you do don't drop off resumes and what ends up happening is that they don't have code samples that they can produce or you know they might not have enough experience yet because they're junior developers and one thing that i i feel like is a good idea a good practice is like write some blog posts about what you're learning and obviously you know something like blog posts about what you're learning is probably more applicable to a junior developer. But I think that those are super valuable because they show your thought process and they show that you can communicate 
things are technical. Right. And they often sh they also show like, I tried this and I got this problem and here's the next step I took and I next step and a next step and that's how I resolved it. And it, like, that's the job, right? Like yeah. <laughs> there's so much of the job that's like, if you are the type of person who gets an error and then throws your hands up and says like, I got an error, it doesn't work. Then like, I can't work with that. But if you're the type of person who will A, get the error, read the error, figure out what the problem is, take small steps to progress forward, and then also write about it at the end and communicate what you have done, then that, that's basically the entire job. Yeah. So <laughs> They'll have good documentation. Write blog posts. Yeah, I, wanted to, I did want to talk about, because we've been talking about like from the hiring person perspective, like from the person trying to get a job's perspective, like particularly, I don't think senior developers have a problem getting a job no. these days. So like, let's not talk about them. <laughs> um, but like, because you say you work with a lot of people trying to find jobs in tech, like what do you tell them beyond the blog post thing or like having a code sample? How do you tell them to stand out in the crowd of people that are applying for these jobs? There are a lot of things because it also depends on your personality. Some people are really good at going to meetups, meeting people, handing out business cards, you know, doing that whole networking thing. Mm -hmm. And some people that's just that's not their personality. So I feel like a lot of people try to you know give like a one size fits all answer uh, where they'll say, Go to meetups, just network, Go network, network. <laughs> and yeah, not everybody has that type of personality. So I, I feel like it's a mix of both. And then there are a lot of people who say blog, blog, blog. And again, if that's not your thing, then what can you do? And I feel like, again, it's a mix of, of both, especially if you're starting out. And to go back to that idea of like, I'm not getting noticed when I submit an application, I'm just going to start going in person. If you're not getting noticed when you're submitting an application, what does your online presence look like? Can I Google you and find out who you are? You know, is your LinkedIn Linked. up to date? <laughs> <laughs> and maybe if you're just starting out as a junior developer, maybe not, but you could fill it up with volunteering opportunities. You can add projects now. You can, um, mm -hmm. LinkedIn is no longer just like a list of your jobs. You can add a lot more things to it. Again, is your GitHub up to date? Is it pruned? A lot of people just have like a lot of test things, a lot of things that they forked. You can spe specifically choose which repositories mm -hmm. show up yeah. on, on your profile page now. So, And, you know, a lot of people just, you got to love your GitHub profile. <laughs> you got to give it some love. You got to go prune it and make sure that when someone looks you up on GitHub that they are able to see quickly the things that you want them to see. There's even people, and I don't recommend this, uh, you can like go and hack it. And like there was someone that uh, spelled hire me on their like contribution board. Right. Uh, and I was like, yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> that is kind of funny. <laughs> but yeah, that is, that's kind of fun. So I feel like, again, it's a combination of write some blog posts, make sure that you have a portfolio page. A lot of my classmates, because I, I went to a boot camp a couple of years ago, and a lot of my classmates who were having a hard time finding jobs, they're like, oh, I haven't gone around to building my personal page. And I'm like, well, how do you expect someone, especially if you're a junior developer with you know no projects under your belt... And you don't have a personal website. Well, but what do they put on there if they don't have any projects? They're apparently just sending, you know, filling out applications and sending out empty resumes. I don't know. Um, and it would, o it would always just really shock me. Like, you're looking for jobs. You should have a web page. Uh, and this also happened when I was a first pass reviewer at my previous job. We would get applications from recent engineering CS graduates from whatever university. And they didn't have 
anything, not even a personal website. So that's it makes it really hard for an employer to get a sense of who you are as an applicant. So well, isn't that isn't that what LinkedIn and GitHub and everything else we just listed are for? like? I'm honestly curious. What, Some people what don't even have that. Some people have nothing. Well, I mean, I mean, <laughs> definitely you gotta have something. But it's like it feels like a personal web page is almost redundant these days because there is a place to document like. Like I said, you can put your pro- yeah. you can put projects on LinkedIn, or you may not have projects. You have GitHub. Yeah. Right. If you're a designer, you have Dribble, you have Behance. Like, there's definitely, you know, if you don't want to have a personal website, just put your work somewhere where it can be right. seen. Right. I mean, the, your personal website could just be here's a link to my GitHub, here's a link to my LinkedIn, mm-hmm. here's a link to my Dribble page. Sure. Whatever the case may be. The other thing I think that really, like, because I have talked to people who are like, I, I submit these applications. I'm like, well, what are you submitting in these? Like in the hiring panel, we talked a lot about like, you know, the people on the panel talked a little bit about job descriptions and how to write job descriptions and stuff, which is a great thing. And like we, as people who have jobs to fill, we need to do a good job of explaining like, what is it actually like to work here, right? When you submit an application, you need to give me an impression about what it's like to work with you, right? And like do something that tells me you spent some time like reading the job description, maybe figuring out what the company does, what they're about and how that lines up with what you think you do really well. And just stand out from that perspective because so many applications we get are just like they fill out the form and they fill it out in the same way they fill out every form. And I understand that like you're trying like, especially as a junior developer, it's hard to find jobs. So you're applying for a lot of them, but like, you have you have to stand out somehow, and one relatively easy way to stand out is to spend the time to care and that's, write a cover letter. Yeah, <laughs> right. and that's actually uh, that brings me up to a really interesting point. I'm a really big fan of the cover letter, yeah. and at my previous job, just gonna give them a shout out for Kitchens Consultancy, and well, they used to be based out of Austin, Texas. Now they're remote. They have some really great hiring practices. That that's kind of where I got a lot of my ideas for uh, what to ask on the panel, and one of the things that they were really big about was write us a thoughtful cover letter because, again, this is going to give us an insight into who you are to the point where if someone submitted a resume and they didn't send us a cover letter, it was practically a no automatically because we wanted to know about them. And also, can you follow instructions? If we say that we want a cover letter and you don't send one, then you (laughs) can't follow instructions. So I'm a big fan of cover letters, but I've heard from other recruiters that Oh, we just don't read them. So, oh, and I was a little bit shocked. I almost never read the resume. I definitely read the cover yeah. letter. <laughs> yeah, I think I'll glance at the resume and be like, "All right, they had some experience." Yeah. And then, like, I want to know, like, we don't we don't specifically ask for a cover letter, but we ask like basically two questions, which is like, "What's it going to be like for us to work with you?" and send us your something about you from your profile or something, you know, like either your design profile or your or some code or something. And the number of people who answer that first question with like, "It'll be great." it's like all right well tell me a little bit more like spend some time and i mean you should just take them on their word it'll be great it's fine and what i think is interesting about that like i'm again i'm a big fan of the cover letter i'm a big fan of like tell us who you are what do you like to do in your own free time we're not gonna judge you (laughs) by what you like to do but we just want to know who you are and i know that a lot of people are a little bit put off when companies ask like you know outside of tech what do you like to do and a lot of people just don't really like that question i'm curious what you all think about that i mean i wouldn't think that they were trying to determine how to hire me i would think they were just trying to have a conversation and then i would just have a conversation about what i like to do i don't know i guess i might feel pressured to say like i love to develop <laughs> i like i i write open source gems in my spare time like i'm always in front of my computer but 
I don't know. I'm a little further along in my career, so I can, from my position of privilege here, I can just say like, I spend time with my kids and I coach the baseball team and the soccer team, and that's what I really like to do. And I get away from my computer when I can. And if that's not okay, if like, no, you have to be on call for this job, then that just doesn't fit what I can do. And I'm, we're fine. Like, let's walk away from this. And I'm not what you want. You're not what I want. But as somebody who's like just trying to get in the industry, you have you sometimes you yeah. have to be a little less choosy and be like, I don't really want to be on call, but I guess I have to be. And so saying something like that might kind of disqualify you, I guess. I mean, I would worry if if somebody was asking me a lot about what I do outside of work, I would worry that that means that they're trying to hire too much too much for culture fit. Yes, and mm. all of the baggage that comes along with that. So I would take it as a bit of a turnoff, just because I don't know that what I do outside of work is terribly relevant to applying for a job. Yeah, and I think that's a really good thing that a lot of people in the industry are starting to realize that asking for things like that, thinking in terms of culture, it keeps you hiring the same person over and over again. And this is something that I experienced previously where you know the culture at um, this agency where I used to work out was very heavy into like craft beer drinking and playing tabletop games. Right. and we ended up hiring a lot of people that were into that and they were all great developers, don't get me wrong, but it keeps you hiring the same person. Um, And that's something that later on, I sort of like woke up to that fact that, oh yeah, that's, it sounds good in theory, but it's not really so good. And I know that it turns off other people, especially women, because it puts you in that position of having, like, do I lie and say that I also like to drink beer and play video games? And, how many Star Wars quotes <laughs> do you have to make during your interview? Yeah. <laughs> One thing that, that I really liked about Shopify when I was applying, when I was looking just through like their perks, because uh, you, know, you, you go to most startups and you see, we have a kegerator, and, uh, which if a company has a kegerator, that means that they want you at the office after work hours. Yes. Uh, for one, but like Shopify's perks were things like cleaning service for your home and bonus if you have a kid and really generous parental leave. And it's just the perks are going to very, very much influence the, the type of applicants you get. And I think those kind of perks are going to attract a much more well-rounded group of people. And I remember just being like, I think I will find more people there that I'm interested in working with than I would if it was we have tabletop games and uh, and uh, kegerator. Yeah, that's a great point, especially... It was one of our panelists yesterday at our hiring panel. Her name is Heather. She said something along the lines of, uh, hey, we just got this new kegerator and nobody is applying to our job. (laughs) 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 But I I did want to take a second to talk about a little bit of like what it feels like from a female perspective to see those sorts of things like, oh, yeah, we have a kegerator, we have a ping pong table. Like, you know, that tells you it's a very specific culture. And that sometimes turns women from applying to a job because they feel like, well, I'm just not going to fit. And sometimes that can be disheartening. uh, But what I like to tell fellow women that are in that position is like, you're interviewing those companies as much as they are interviewing you. So if you don't feel like the culture is going to be a good fit for you, you know, just walk away from that. You are just as free. And, And that's a tough thing to have to say to someone, especially if they're females just getting started into tech. But I don't know, I, I take it from that perspective of, also, you know, you are interviewing this company as well for the culture. And if you feel like it's not going to be very inclusive for you, better that you find out now. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't think like, I don't want to say that like, if you're the type of company that has a foosball table and a ping pong thing, like that, that means you only hire people who really like to play foosball and play ping pong. Like that can be your culture now. 
as long as you're open to like somebody else yeah. coming in and being like, well, I don't like to do any of that stuff. I like to leave at five o'clock and or four thirty. I get here at eight thirty. I leave at four thirty, and that's what I do. I think it's important to project that like you're open to right. That's not just people who are going to hang around after work drinking beer and playing right. ping pong. Right. And like th- there was an article that was making the rounds yesterday that I have read part of, uh, and we'll put a link to the show notes because I was really I like I liked the premise, but it was basically that we should stop talking about culture fit and start talking about like chemistry because Hmm. chemistry is about combining different elements right i like that um and culture is like kind of has this homogenous nature to it i was just talking about that this morning with justin one of our other panelists and i was telling him how you know it's sometimes a team works really well and it's not necessarily because of the individual pieces it's because of the individual pieces put together (laughs) and a lot of people don't always realize that If as a consultancy, we hired all of like the really best Ruby developers in the world, but they weren't perhaps like the best interpersonal communicators in the world, like we'd have a really good development team if you like put them in a room and said like, here's the requirements, develop this thing. Yeah. But that's not the, that's only part of the job, a small part of the job. Like we need to have a balanced, like some of our people are like, they know where the, the bodies are buried in rails, right? And they, like, they know how to get down in those weeds. And some of the people just aren't that type of person, but they're, they're really strong in other areas and having a balance of all those skills on your team. That's what's important. And I think a bit of a, I don't know if this qualifies as a catch-22, but it's definitely a thing, is that when you talk about like putting all these pieces together and assembling a team, a lot of the times that will also keep you from hiring diversely because if you don't think about it in the right way, you're going to want to go for, well, these people click and that's why we want to sort of like assemble this type of team. And I don't necessarily think that there is one solution or that we've cracked it yet. But I think that's interesting is that you you are still trying to assemble the best possible team with the best chemistry while at the same time trying to bring in different voices to the table. And that's that can definitely be a challenge. Yeah. And the bringing different voices thing, like that. this is the first time I've been involved in the process early enough that it wasn't just like, I'm interviewing whoever somebody said we're interviewing, right? And I just, I do that. But now it's like trying to attract candidates and things like that. So like, I have to do things that I'm not, like, I'm totally comfortable walking up to people that I already know who have the same interests as me or whatever and being like, hey, I think you should work with us because I have firsthand knowledge that you do really good work, et cetera. But like, I have people in my extended network who I don't talk to as regularly. I don't know. Maybe we tweet back and forth a couple of times, right? (laughs) And I have to kind of like do the thing where I'm like, all right, I'm going to be a recruiter. Here I go. Like I'm going to send them an email because I just have to like, I have to get out of my comfort zone to try and attract like those types of people because my comfort zone will attract the people that I usually, you know, associate with, I guess, Um, which, you know, it's pretty sketchy crowd. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But it's just saying like, paying more attention to doing things that you maybe aren't doing. Like recently I went to a, one of those, like they, I can't remember the name of the event, but like a tech recruiting event where like you pay some company money and a bunch of candidates come in and I was pretty sure like speed dating, but for employers. Yes. And I was pretty sure it was going to be bad and was it, it was bad, but like I tried it. Right. And I was very uncomfortable with it and there was nobody that was a good fit for what we were looking for. But like, I tried it, and now I know that that didn't work, right? Um, so from an employer perspective, just trying to try as many things as possible to find the people that are out there. And like the other thing we found is like instead of if we do identify somebody that we're like, we would like this person to apply, not saying like, hey, I'd really like you to apply, but saying like, hey, I think you'd be a really good teammate here. 
uh, why don't I go ahead and set up a meeting with Chad and you can talk to him about like what it's like to work here and you know, you can just see if it's a fit rather than being like, you should apply because even if the answer is like, yeah, I should apply to that job. It's like, I should apply to that job. Let me get my stuff together. I've got to get this and together not gonna do and it. then they're not going to do it because they already have a job. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> no, that is literally what is happening to me right now. There is someone that I absolutely feel like would be a great addition to our team. Mm-hmm. And I you know, sent him a link and I was like, hey, please apply. And unfortunately, I can't just set up a coffee with like one of our members over the team because we're a large company and we kind of have this bureaucracy and have to go through. You know, you have to submit an application, which is a shame, but mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard to sort of convince someone that you're like, oh, I know you just be so good here, but you're already employed, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I remember um, when I was trying to come work for ThoughtBot, I had a networking connection to Desi. So mm-hmm. I reached out and you know tried to, tried to network my way into advancing through the process. And then she was just like, yeah, you should submit an application. That'll, be, that, that, <laughs> That'll get you in the process. <laughs> you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> Before we wrap up, is there any other burning uh, topics that you wanted to talk about? Uh, One last thing that I wanted to mention is that a lot of people don't always think about diversity of background where they're considering candidates. And I I also think that that should be a consideration. It's not just about, you know, diversity of, you know, whether you're a minority or whether you're a woman or LGBTQ. It's also about, like, what is your background? Maybe there's someone out there that falls within the status quo category, but, you know, they have an interesting, different background that they can bring something else to the table. And so I think that, yeah, diversity of background is also really important, especially in tech, because not everybody has a CS degree now nowadays. Right. right. So you would have, like... It's important to have people who do maybe have a CS background or people who have a different college degree that's totally off the wall, like fine arts, or don't have a college degree at all and taught themselves how to do whatever. Just having a diversity of that. Education being one of those areas that can be an interesting background and is often easily discoverable, right? But, you know, there's also all sorts of different other stories that people have in their background that inform the way that they are and also just the way they approach solving problems and having a diversity of, like, ways to approach solving a problem is really interesting. So we solved it. Yeah, we're done. Between the panel and this, you know, conversation here, that's it. Is your company (laughs) hiring? Do you want to do a plug? Yeah, we are actually hiring. Uh, We are looking for a front-end developer with an emphasis on React. And we are looking for a back-end developer. So just check out uh, returnpath.com slash careers, and you should be able to see uh, what we're hiring for. Especially if you're based out of Austin, come work with me. And uh, get that personal web page shining. <laughs> Love your GitHub. Stop yeah. bot hiring, Derek. I don't oh, know if you've ever mentioned that before. You know, I don't know. We may or may not be still looking for developers by the time this is uh, published. <laughs> Shopify is also hiring all of the things if you're interested in moving to Canada. <laughs> we have lawyers that help you do that. <laughs> all right. Cool. Thanks, Sessie. Thank you. Show notes for this episode can be found at bikeshed.fm slash 115. Thanks very much, and we'll see you next time.